All right. Well, tonight we're on page 24. Uh, how can we have faith? So welcome back to you guys. Welcome to those of you others who are watching live stream. Um, the, the title, how can I have faith? I would much rather it be, they didn't, alpha people don't care what I think, but I would much rather say, can I be sure about what I believe? Can I be assured or certain as to what I believe? And as we've talked about through the years, most of us have believed or have been exposed to some interesting concepts of how we have, uh, how we can attain peace with God, purpose and meaning on the earth through a relationship with God or even have a home in heaven. And, and they were probably, you know, based off of, as we talked about this, this model of religion. Okay, so this is part of the model that I showed you last week, that man is here separated from God. We all recognize that, or most of us do. And that man is just these arrows are pictures of man's effort. Some of us do better than others. But here's the thing. There's still a gap. Nobody attains the perfection of God as it is recorded in the scriptures. And for those of you here for the first time, just, just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this as I slow down a little bit. Um, tonight may be a little bit longer than we're used to. So maybe I apologize for that in advance. Um, but what I've said, for those of you here for the first time, I'm not asking you to believe a word I'm saying. This is not an effort to get you to change your church denomination. Go to church if you don't go to church. This is an opportunity for us to come and find out what's in the Bible. If you were here the first week, I asked the question, how many of you grew up reading the Bible? And I had about four hands in a room that night of 150 people go up. And so later I asked the question, how many believe there's something on the other side of your heart? Last heartbeat. When you die, it's going to last forever, and you believe it's going to last forever. And almost every hand in the room went up. And so the question is, what do we base that on? So Christianity is based on the Bible. So the question is, can I believe the Bible? But I would ask you to do this. Before you even are terribly concerned about, can I believe the Bible? Though on, in week two, we brought up some pretty interesting evidences. It's what's in it. Most of us don't even know what's in it to know whether we could or should believe in it or not. And so that's what we're hoping to do in these, after tonight, four more weeks of Alpha. What does the Bible have to say about God? What does the Bible have to say about me? So whether you choose to or not uh, believe it, at least you'll know what's in it and what's not in it. So no pressure here, none, none from here, none from your table host. This is an opportunity for us to come ask questions, think about things maybe we don't typically think about. And we're just so happy you're here and hope you will come back and be with us. So I talked about last week that there's a, every world religion has this model, whether it's Islam or Hinduism or Mormonism or Buddhism, or as I said, the ever-growing religion of whatever, that these are all, these are basically all, whether it's man's effort to reach God, there's only one faith or religion that is different than that and that is biblical christianity but so but basically we live this way this is how we live we if we keep the rules god will have to give us what we want um, now and have to give us what we want later but the problem is this we don't even keep our own rules much less the ten commandments or, or whatever else but you know i don't know about you i love rules i love rules for you I just don't love rules for me. You know, I love to put, I want everybody else to drive like a sane person. Um, I, you know, I expect other people to be kind to me. So, so that's how we kind of, kind of feel. But um, I want to just show you some rules that prove rules are not expected to actually be kept, actually expected to be broken. Now, these are the actual pool rules, I promise you. Took a picture. The pool rules from the Arlington Gateway Hotel, 801, if you want to make this, 801 North Glebe Road, Arlington, Virginia. So if you ever find yourself there, these are the pool rules, unless they know I've been mocking them for all these years and they took them down. First pool rule at the Arlington Gateway Hotel. If you've had diarrhea in the past two weeks, please do not use the pool. Use the pool for what is what I like to understand. What? 
That was the, that's the first rule. Second rule, shower your child and yourself before entering the pool or after using the toilet. I mean, who doesn't do that, right? I mean, third rule, bathers who are not toilet trained or incontinent adults. I guess that means they're from another country. Incontinent adults <laughs> must wear a swim diaper. Now, those are the first three rules. Now, the fourth rule proves that they do not believe anyone's going to follow those rules. Here's rule number four. Do not drink the pool water. <laughs> so, actual pool rules here. And so, last week, we, we looked at scriptures that present a challenge to a validating... Oh, I don't want to do that. Let me just go there. And so, we, we looked at scriptures that present a challenge to the validating performance record worldview that we can perform our way. Our record of performance will validate us before God. But we've started to look at some scriptures that, that show that that's impossible, that is impossible for us based on our efforts to perform before a perfectly holy God because you and I are, if we're, we're perfectly unholy. And we, and we know it. So we looked at this scripture. All have sinned. All have been self-centered. All have wanted what they want when they want it and have come short of the glory of God. And so we talked about the fact that Frank has sinned and Jim has sinned and Lisa has sinned. And we, and we have lied and we've cheated and we've stolen and we've coveted. We have all these things. And as a result of that, there's a, there's, a, there's a great chasm between us and God. And the scripture could not make that more clear. And so um, we talked about this. It, it's, it's really universal. We, because this perfection, we know we can't reach perfection. So we have to develop or design a view of God where we define how good we need to be on our own terms. And we call that not theology, but meology. I determine who God is. I need to make a manageable God. I need to make a God that, 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 that I can relate to and get along with. And so I have to make God instead of Genesis 126 says that God said, let us make man in our own image. Well, Frank chapter one, verse 26 says, let me make God in my own image. See, that's really what we do. We, we come up with a, a picture of God that is completely contrary to who God says he is. Now the question is, either my, my meological relativism, okay, my relative view of God, and that he's, he's not totally holy, he's gonna sweep the stuff under the, the road. Well, that's an interesting concept, but when I believe that, I have a different position than God has, than the Bible has. So either I'm right in trying to be good enough or God is right in telling me through the scriptures, you're not good enough, but I have an answer for, to, uh, to forward, to bridge that chasm between you and me. And so we either, we either think we're too good or some of us in here tonight may think we're just too bad. You know, no, I just, I'm, I'm not perfect, but you know, I'm, I'm not as bad as some of these guys at my table. That's what may be how you're thinking. Or some of you may just think, you know, I've just screwed up so bad, there's no way God would have any interest in having a relationship with me. And, and listen, what we're talking about here is this. In the United States of America, we hear the, the name God thrown around so much, familiarity has bred a complacency. We just think God is just maybe a little bit higher version than we are. God is completely different than you and I are. And so if he really is different than you and I are, unapproachable to me based on my efforts. Maybe I've lost a sense of who this God is. This one who supposedly, or the scriptures has created the heavens and the earth and everything that's in it. And so, so the hope is that we kind of get a much better idea of this supreme being. And I said, some, from, and from the comparative religion models that we've grown up with, we've we come up with some different ways in which we try to manage a holy God in the midst of our imperfection. I'll just give you three examples. Now, tonight, how sure can I be about my faith? Okay, I'm going to give you three examples here. And I want to just ask you this question. As you see these, 
Maybe you relate to them. I certainly related to them. How secure do you feel? Would you feel if this was the way in which we could have a relationship with God? One, maybe God grades on a curve. Okay? I mean, thank God we had physics teachers and microbiology teachers and, and in my case, underwater basket weaving teachers that graded on a curve. Okay? Now, let me just ask you a question. If this is heaven and this is a place called hell... Um, and this is the dividing line. Where would you put yourself? Don't have to answer out loud. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure none of us would say, eh, I'm probably about right here. Now, maybe some would, but, but not me. I'm not doing that. I, I, am, I am doing my best to get at least on the other side of the line. So if God grades on a curve, I'm not, again, I'm not perfect, but I'm certainly better than all of you in this table, in this room, at least. I mean, so, so, so we kind of think, well, maybe God grades on a curve. Now, if God grades on a curve, maybe what you have to do is just hang out with really bad people and just don't be as, quite as bad as they are. You know, and then, and then you, could, you could maybe pass that test. Maybe, maybe there are scales in heaven, right? There are these scales. And on one scale, on one side of the scale, you put those, those little negative signs there. Those are all the bad things that you've done. And then on this side, um, you just put your good works. Okay, you just, how's that? Do you feel comfortable at that? I mean, would you feel sure that heaven would be your home if that's what you look like? And you're going, no, you're not feeling comfortable about that. Well, how about this? Well, the question is this. When you did those good things, what was your motive when you did those good things? You know, was it your aunt that you loved to go visit your aunt? You know, she was near death. But you had no interest in your aunt. You had gotten a, a look at her will. And you knew if you just did great things with your aunt, maybe you could get a little written a little bit more in the will. I mean, what's the motivation even? Who determines this? See, so, I mean, this is kind of how I thought, you know, if my good works outweigh my bad works, God's going to let me in. The question is... How secure are you with that? Is there a security there? Is there a hope so? I think so. I pray so. I hope it's a good day that I die on. You know, it's a close game. Maybe like the Saints game, you know, the Saints-Vikings game where, you know, instead of missing the field goal by two inches, you made the field goal by two inches. I love Will. I felt really bad for him. Okay. But I mean, even, I mean, if you look at it, it, the Quran, which is the, Muslim Bible, if you will. This is what the Quran says. Then those whose scales are heavy, they are successful. And those whose scales are light are those who lose their souls in abiding hell. And so that's the picture. I hope I'm good enough. If I'm hoping I'm good enough, then the dependence is upon me. It's upon my record of performance that I believe validates me before God. And every religion on the planet teaches that very thing. Whether it's the Ten Commandments, the Eightfold Path of Enlightenment for the Buddhist, the Five Pillars of Faith for the Muslim, whatever, backwoods of Africa, wherever it may be. There's some system of morality, a moral code, rules, laws that are incumbent upon the people keeping them. And you and I grow up under that model. Now, the third model, the third example I want to give you is maybe just things get kind of boring in heaven. You know, fat little harp, fat little angels and, you know, harps just bouncing off clouds. I mean, that's heaven, right? Eternity of that. Um, don't think so. But things just kind of get boring, let's say. And God decides to come up with a game show. A game show. Um, and it it's just becomes this universal blockbuster goes viral all over the heavens and um and so the game is called hot or not okay now so depending upon whether or not you've been good okay thank you okay um depending upon whether or not you've been good um, determine whether you will be hot or not. And the way you play this game is there's this massive uni universe-sized carousel, okay, like a, like a roulette wheel. And there's, there are people. Here comes Jeff again. Everybody, let's thank Jeff for coming. 
great to see you, Jeff. Thank you for being here. I appreciate your effort. I know. So, no, I really do. I really do, Jeff. Come on up here. Je no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so there's this massive roulette wheel, okay? Everyone that has ever lived is on this roulette wheel. And what you do is you, God will spin the roulette wheel. Okay, now you're standing there. Now, the thing about this game is you have to be dead to play it. So I'm going to invite a few of you to play in just a minute. So you, have, you spin the roulette wheel, and wherever it stops, if that person is next to you, and depending upon who is better, will determine who is hot and who is not. Okay? Don't you like this? Isn't it exciting? Okay. So, so let's do this. So, Jeff, since you just got here... Um, Okay, we're going to spin the roulette wheel, and you just shout out, stop, and that person will be next to you, will determine whether you are going to be leaving here real soon. So, okay? <laughs> so let's, let's go ahead. Okay, Jeff, the wheel, the wheel is spinning. You just say stop whenever you want. Stop. Oh! <laughs> well, Jeff, if you hadn't have been late, you'd have been better than Hitler. So, okay. Congratulations. You can stay. All right, Bill, you ready? Okay, here goes, here's Billy. Just say stop. stop. Whew. All right, Richard, you ready? Oh. Would the ushers please come and escort Richard? Now, now as ridiculously stupid as that is, um, we, t we think that way. We really do think that way. You think that way. I think that way. I'm better than that creep. You know, we, we just, we size one another up. And when it gets into areas of religion, how can that guy call himself a Christian? Look at that guy. What a hypocrite. See? And this is what we do. We, we, we judge one another. Remember the, the little arrows going up toward God? We judge one another based on our determination as to how good somebody is. And we become their judge to determine whether they're going to be hot or not. If we do it all the time. We just, we love to be amateur providences. We just, there's something in us about that. But here's the meological relativist test of whether or not you and I are believing in a record of performance that validates us before God or not. Okay, now, I hope you enjoyed your meal. They've really worked hard. Everybody enjoy their meal? Okay. Um, well, the chef was not in a good mood tonight. He put some extra heavy arsenic in some of your meals. And, uh, and the way in which you know it's poison is you're feeling sleepy right now. Okay? It has nothing to do with my presentation. It's you are feeling sleepy. Um, and, uh, and then next thing you know, boom, your, 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 your head hits the table and you're gone. And the next thing you know, okay, now go here with me. The next thing you know, you are standing in the presence of Jesus Christ. And he asks you this question. Now think about this. He asks you this question. Why did you trust those people? I tried to warn you from... Anyway. Um, he asks you this question. Why should I let you into my heaven? Why should I let you into my heaven? Now, I hope you're thinking right now, what is our response to that question? Now, if you and I are running through a litany of trying to think of all the good things that we've done, shove aside all the bad things that we may have done, then that would give away the thought that we would be believing our faith position would be a record of performance that validates me before a totally holy God. So think about that. Tuck that thought away. Tonight as you're lying in bed, not able to sleep, you had too much coffee, whatever it was, but what do I believe will give me standing, right standing before God. It's a good question. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. It's the 11th chapter. I've added these words in red or not in the scripture. Um, but if it, now that it in context is salvation, complete forgiveness, 
and total acceptance for if it is by grace. Remember, we met, we, um, we defined grace last week as being unmerited favor. Unmerited favor, acceptance that you cannot, you do not have the capacity to merit, okay? But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. It is no longer on the basis of a validating performance record. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. See, it's either grace, a gift, or it's works. And that's what we need to see. And so, now that I show you this whole model again, religions of the world, every religion of the world determines, basically says that we have to reach God by our own efforts, religious efforts, dutiful efforts, solemn efforts. But according to the Bible, none is righteous. None, none has the capacity to reach a holy God. Okay? So it's either on the basis of works or it's on the basis of grace. The Bible says, because God in his holiness, we talked about this last week when we went to the courtroom. Maybe you guys remember that if you were here. That God, knowing our plight, the, the incapacity of our being able to be accepted by him based on our works, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to be the satisfaction to the payment for our transgressions, for our selfishness, for our saying, I want what I want when I want it, and to hell with all of you. Jesus comes to pay the penalty for us so that in our accepting of him, he takes us out of eternal death and gives us life. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. So the question, what do I believe qualifies me before a holy God? It is either going to be my efforts or it's going to be Christ's effort. One is dependent upon how good I have to be or think I have to be. One is dependent upon how good God is and his work for me on my behalf. One, one, of my, one is my works, the other is the work of Christ. And so, um, how can we have faith? So we're still on page 24. We've moved nowhere in the last 23 minutes. Okay? So the Bible teaches that God wants us. This is, again, I'm not asking you to believe it, but this is what the Bible says. That God wants you and me to know for sure, as certainly as we can on earth, what our standing is, our place is before him, and whether heaven is going to be our home the split second after our hearts stop or not. And if I have a desire for tonight, if, if I could snap my fingers tonight, that would be what I would desire, that every one of us will leave here tonight certain of our relationship with Christ that we have a relationship with Christ, or certain that we do not have a biblical relationship with Christ, that none of us is standing on the neutral ground or the median. That would be my hope, that each and every one of us here would be, according to the Bible, that, that you and I either are or are not Christ followers, as the Scripture says. So you could leave here tonight saying, you know, um, I... I don't believe the Bible, okay? I, choo I, I choose not to believe it. I'm going to trust my position, not the Bible's position. And maybe you're right, maybe you're not. The question is, what evidence would there be for any of us to believe that position? I love the fact, as we talked about in week two, that the Bible gives us that history gives us, archaeology gives us. We're going to talk about this a good bit next week. And when we talk about why and how to read the Bible next week, the more evidences to the scripture. And so, so I, I want you to, if you would, just either write this down or just make a note of this. Because this is where we get tripped up. And every one of us, I would, I, again, forgive me for being so dogmatic in that every one of us. I would say almost every one of us that grew up in a religious tradition um, that, that where the Bible was not something that we held to, but more religious tradition would think that Christianity is about trying to be good enough. 
Write this. Christianity is about first becoming someone before it's about doing something. Christianity is about first becoming someone before it's about doing something. We focus on activity. We focus on performance. We focus on what we look like in front of others. That's what we do. The Bible does not focus on that, which is completely antithetical to the way in which we typically think. Now, again, I'm going to support this with the scripture because I told you again, don't believe a word I'm saying. And so this is what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. It's his second letter to the Corinthians. It's the fifth chapter, the 17th verse. Catch this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she, that's my addition, is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone is, remember last week I told you, for those of you who are here, I told you about this two-letter word in. We're going to make a big deal about that two-letter word in tonight. Is in Christ. He or she is a new creation. What's a new creation? A new creation is someone that never has been before. It's a new creation. The old creation has passed away. The new has come. How does that happen? If anyone is in Christ. What does that mean? So here's what the Bible teaches. I know this is going to be rough. But I'm just telling you what the scripture says. The Bible teaches that we were born physically creations of God, not children of God. We were born physically creations of God. But when we are born spiritually, we become children of God. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support that in just a minute, but I know that's a tough pill to swallow. I didn't like hearing that. The Bible says I'm a creation of God when I'm born physically. When Buddy and Carolyn and Loria probably January 1st, around midnight, um, you know, conceived this little darling Italian boy named, you know, that they named Frank. Um, I became a physical creature born in the image with the image of God, but a marred image because of sin. And so let me just show you here what... So here's the Gospel of John, John the Apostle writing, talking about Jesus. He says, he came to his own. This is Christ came to the Jews. Yet his own did not receive him. Many did, most did not. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to, to what? Can you say that word with me? Become children of God. Can you become something you already are? No, you just can't do that. That would be like my asking you to come into the room and you're already here. Okay. He gave the right, the privilege, the power to those who received him and believed in his name to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. I think, Billy, was it you and I that, that played this, this last week? Was that you and I that did that? It wasn't? That person didn't come back, maybe? Okay. So, but I said, to, I said that if I had something that was of value, great value to you, would save your life, and I wanted to give it to you as a gift, and you wanted to receive it, I said, how much good is it doing you in my hand? When does it do you good? When you receive it. See, and that's what the thing. If you believe in his name, you will receive him. And then you become, okay? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The right to become children of God, not born of a natural ascent, husband's uh, human decision or husband's will, but born of God. And this is why, this is why when you go to John chapter 3, and you see Jesus has a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus, successful businessman. Honored, revered, spiritual leader in the Jewish community. He comes to Jesus late at night and, and, Jesus, and he says to Jesus, you must be from God because nobody could do the things you're doing. 
unless he was from God. And Jesus does not respond to that. He says this, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, or truly, truly, I tell you, you must be born again. So Billy Graham did not come up with that terminology. I had no idea that was actually in the Bible. Jesus said to this religious person, this person who was trying to do his best to reach God, he said, no, Nick, Nick, you don't get it. You must be born again. And so he goes on to say, flesh gives birth to flesh. Okay, Loria gives birth to Loria. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. You see the born again thing in this? You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. You must become a new creation. That's how we enter into a relationship with God, how we become children of God. And so the Bible teaches, here's what the Bible teaches, that the entire human race was born as children of Adam. So let's go back to the garden where we've been before. It's the third chapter in the book of Genesis. It's Adam and Eve. The serpent deceives them. God said to Adam, the day you eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Remember we said death is not annihilation, but separation. And the moment they partook of the fruit, they were separated from God. Because they wanted to be as God. God knows, the serpent says, the day you eat of this fruit, you will be like him. He's holding out on you. You really are the captain of your fate and the master of your soul. And God is holding out on you. Well, not exactly. And they partook of the fruit and they died. They knew they were naked. They ran from God when they heard his voice. And every one of us do the same thing to this day. We do the same thing. And so God, so God sends Christ to bring to us the ability for us to enter into the, that relationship. Remember the last week I, I, I pulled this outlet out of my chest, out of my shirt, and I said, we were plugged into death. But in Christ, we get plugged into life. You and I are born again. Physically, the umbilical cord got cut. But spiritually, the umbilical cord was still connected to death. And the Bible could not be any more clear about that. And that the ramifications of that are death. And that's a matter of inheritance. We inherit that. So, so let me just give you an example here through this scripture. It says, therefore, just as through one man. Now, who was that one man? Yeah, Adam. Sin entered into the world and death, separation from God through sin, through that act of rebellion. And so death, separation from God spread to all men because through Adam, he's passing on a spiritual DNA of separation from God. Through his spiritual DNA comes a DNA to each and every one of us. And it's proven through all of our attitudes, it's proven unholy attitudes, unholy actions, selfish stuff. If I want what I want when I want it, all of, the, all of these things are just proof. So then, as through one transgression or acts of self, act of selfishness or wanting to be as God, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted, remember, justification, not guilty before God and life to all men. So, for as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, through Adam's disobedience, we inherit that sinful nature, that sinful DNA. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made and placed in right standing before God. Let me just show you how that works. So, in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, the Bible clearly says, For in Adam all die. Okay, so, I've got these really cheap props that you will see the rest of the time that you're here. So, the whole of humanity is stuffed into Adam. Every one of us, born of our parents, born of our father, we, that, that DNA spreads and we are all in Adam. For in Adam all die. Die. Let me just give you a picture of this. 
So here's Adam. Um, let's just say this is you. Um, who, could, who would like to do this? Josiah, I know you would love to do this. Okay, so Josiah, this is you. Josiah, where would, your, where would you be if your mom and dad had never been? Correct, they, you wouldn't be. Okay, now where would your mom and dad be if their mom and dad had never been? They wouldn't be either, right? So when you, when you follow the lineage back, you follow it all the way. It doesn't matter whether you're from India or Bangladesh or Russia or wherever. Man comes from Adam. So in a real way, who's your daddy? Right? Adam is your daddy. And we're all related. We're all related. So for in Adam all die. But here, in Christ, the many shall be made alive. And so Christ comes. He gives his life for us. According to the scripture, he pays the penalty for our sinfulness on the cross. And the result of that is to as many as receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Now, think about this for a minute. If Jesus was born of Joseph, guess what? He couldn't be the savior of the world. Do you know why? Because he's born with sin. This wasn't just some cool trick for a great Christmas pageant. Okay. If Christ is not born of the Holy Spirit, he is disqualified from being the savior of the world. So he is born of the Holy Spirit according to the scripture. Again, believe it or not, that's, this is the story of the scripture. And so the result of that is to, if anyone is in Christ, he or she becomes a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, the old has passed away. This is gone. The DNA of us that was in Adam, our being seen in the presence of God as death is gone and and to as many as receive him are placed into Christ taken out of one family and placed into another family so out of the family of Adam and into the family of Christ See, so I'm tell what I'm telling you is, is this. Christianity is not first about morality at all. It's about identity. It's about one who was in Adam, incapable in and of ourselves. No matter how good we could be, we were still born, separated from God. God comes and he, he pays the penalty for our selfishness because he wants to fully forgive us and fully accept us so that we now have a new identity in Christ. No longer in Adam, if you've surrendered, if you have received him and placed into Christ. Again, it's, it's great because nobody wants to be in Adam's family. You just don't want to be in Adam's family. Okay. All right. I just thought I'd break the tension for a moment. Okay. But what if God, what if God wants us to know for sure? I mean, isn't that really the issue? What if God says, I want you to know for sure about your relationship with me? This is God saying this. Wouldn't you want to know? I, I would hope that we would. Well, let's just look at another scripture. I mean, any loving parent would want to know, want us to know our standing in the family. So here's what the Apostle John writes to those who are in Christ. So when John writes this letter, it's not the gospel, it's called the epistle, John's first epistle to the churches. When he writes this, what he, this is what he says. And this is the testimony. Here's the story. This is the deal. That God gave us eternal life. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I write to these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may... Now, I left that word there. 
if I were to ask any, maybe most of you tonight, sorry, do you, you going to heaven? Most of the answers I would get would be this. Hope so. Think so. I pray I am. Do you know the, that's not that word? These things I have written to you, John says, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. And there is not a stronger word in the Greek language, which the New Testament is written in, than that word, know. That you may know you have eternal life. That's what John writes. And so on page 25, the word of God tells us God is the initiator. He pursues us first. He's the one that came looking for you and looking for me. Here's what Paul writes to the church at Rome. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still in Adam, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, found not guilty, by the payment, the legal payment of his blood, much more shall we be saved by him, rescued by him from the wrath of God that is for all who are still in Adam and who refuse God's gracious gift of life. So while we were still doing our own thing, Christ came to deliver us from Adam's family. And then in Ezekiel, this is some 600 years before Jesus comes to the planet. Look at this in terms of God's initiation. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. Do you, do you see the initiative act here? And I myself will make them lie down. When someone lies down, why do you lie down? It's a, it's a, it's a position of feeling secure and feeling comfortable and at rest. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. Now, who's God speaking of here? I believe he's speaking to every one of us that have ever drawn breath that we would see our position in Adam in death, separated from God, and say, I, I don't want to be here anymore. I, I, I want to be delivered. I want life. And then in the Gospel of John, again, this is what John writes. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. And look what it says. And I, see that word right there? Give them. I give them eternal life. It doesn't say, and they will work to have eternal life. I give them eternal life. Right? To as many as receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. They'll never die. Oh, we'll put off these earth suits. We'll put off our bodies. But according to the Bible, we will go straight from these earth suits into the presence of God. And look at this. I love this. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will be able to take you, if you're in Christ, out of Christ, and stuff you back into Adam. Because God is always paying attention to those whom he has called to himself. So what does this tell us? That, that, that God, through the scriptures, wants you and me to know of the amazing security that we have, that we have been birthed into and joined to and held onto by God himself. I don't hang on to him by my own strength, just like a little infant could anymore hold on to his parents. God, the almighty one, says, I have taken you out of Adam and I've placed you into my life and no one will snatch you out of my hand. I have fully forgiven you. I have fully accepted you. You have full security in my life and in your new identity because if anyone is in Christ he, in Christ he is she is a new creation the old is gone the new has come fully accepted by him 
So faith is, page 25, taking God's promises and daring to believe them. But here's the thing, a response is necessary, right? If the doctor says we're going to have surgery, and you're sitting there in the doctor's room and you go, okay, but until you go under the surgeon's knife, you really haven't believed that that surgical procedure will heal you. A, a response is necessary, not just mental assent, a response is necessary. So, on June 30th, 1859, a guy by the name of, of Joseph, pardon me, Charles Blondin, at 31 years of age, took a rope and he strung it across the rapids of Niagara Falls. Strung it across the rapids of Niagara Falls. And a tremendous crowd gathered together to watch Blondin do this. And he went back and forth across those falls, did amazing things, put his manager on his back, went back and forth. Actually, there's pictures of him frying an egg on a stove. I have no idea how he did this, but, but these are the things that he did. Well, let's just say he takes a little bit of break and he thanks all you guys, you, the audience, for coming to, to be with him. And he said, hey, I can take a person put him in a wheelbarrow and take him from one side of the falls to the next. Anybody here believe I can do that? Don't see any hands. Don't be afraid to raise your hand. Okay, Jeff, you believe? Then get in. Are you going to get in? Okay, I understand. Okay, so, but then Blondin does this. Jeff, I fully understand. He takes, you know, about a, 198 pounds of, of, of rock and he, he, he takes it, puts it in the wheelbarrow and he, and he just brings it from one side and then he comes back to the other side. It's just amazing, amazing. Now, Jeff, now do you believe I could do it? Okay, so, all right. So let's just say Jeff says, yeah, I believe. When does Jeff believe? When he gets in. When he gets in the wheelbarrow. One is just mental, oh, yeah, I believe all this, this stuff. I go to church. Um, yeah, I, I do this. Again, believing and receiving is placing 100% of my being, in, in this analogy with Blondin, uh, into the care of someone else. Now, next week, I'm going to give you an, an, an addition to this analogy, which will make it a whole lot more, less of a publicity stunt and more a matter of life and death. So you may be here tonight and you're curious. Hey, thank you for coming curious. Right? I mean, maybe you're worse. Maybe you couldn't care caca about any of this stuff. But you're curious. Thank you for coming curious. I just, we're so excited that you are here curious. Um, or maybe you're just convinced. You know, I've, I've gone to church my whole life. Uh, I believe this. But I don't believe it quite like it sounds like you believe it. In other words, I'm... I believe, but I ain't getting in the wheelbarrow. See, or those who are committed. Committed means not, uh, yes, I'm committed. I'm going to make this Christian life happen. I'm going to do this thing. No, that's not at all. In this case, what's Jeff being committed to? He's com being committed to Blondin's ability to get him from one side to the other. See, when one surrenders to Christ... He's saying, I no longer trust my ability to get me from, from here to heaven. I'm trusting in Christ's ability. I am committed to his commitment. I am surrendered to his ability. I look at the cross as my only means of having peace with God now and in his presence for forever. And so this is just, again, the difference between believing about would be condensed. Sure, but I'm not getting in. Or believing in is getting in. So, um, so let me give you another analogy of that. Um, let's say Annette and I are, um, my wife and I are getting ready to <clears throat> be married. We're standing before the minister. And the minister says to me, um, Frank, we're right at the vows part, you know, right at the good part. Um, Frank, do you take Annette to be your wife? And I say, well, preacher, she is drop-dead gorgeous. 
And I would be so proud to be seen with her. And the minister says, well, Frank, um, we all agree, right? Everybody shake your head, yes. Um, we all agree. Beautiful. But Frank, do you take Annette to be your wife? You know, preacher, have you ever tasted her cook, cooking? Great cook. I mean, she can outcook the best of them. Yeah, Frank, um, that's good. But do you take Annette to be your wife? Well, her daddy's rich. <laughs> and the day he kicks. Um, yeah, that's right, Frank. But do you take Annette to be your wife? You see, I can believe all the right things about Annette and never say two words. I can go to church my whole life, say prayers my whole life, try to be good my whole life. But never say two words. See, what happens at a wedding, you know, there's a, there's a funeral that takes place at every wedding. Don't you know that? I mean, right? I mean, that's really what happens. Two people die to singleness to become one flesh. That's what happens. See, when I, see, think about this. I mean, it just, it's not exactly what happened. But if you and I could go back to that cross 2,000 years ago. And we see beyond what any depiction on TV has ever been of a bloodied Savior. Looking you square in the eyes. Blood pouring from his forehead. Dripping down his back. His hands shaking because of the, the owner nerve being pierced at his wrists. Gasping for breath. And he says to you. Al, I do. Better or worse, whether you're sick or healthy, whether you're rich or poor, till death when you're with me. See, that I do rushes through the canyons of history to October 4th, 2022. Where Jesus is wanting to hear not, I think you're a good guy. Love to sing songs about you. Love to call on you when I'm in need. No. He's saying, are you willing to die to who you are apart from me? To be married, if you will, to me and say, Jesus, I do. It's one thing to believe about him. It's another thing to submit all that you are, all that I am to him. So the work of God tells us God is the initiator. The work of Jesus shows us, proves to us who he is. I'm going to just finish in a second here. So here's Did you hear what I just said? Did this issue of I do, whether you believe it or not, did you see the difference between believing about and believing in? Do you see that? It's just so important to see that, to know that, that biblical truth there. And so Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, little church in, church in Turkey, in uh, Ephesus in Turkey. Look, look what he writes. For it is by grace, he's writing to those who are in Christ, no longer in Adam. For it is by grace you are in Christ, have been saved, have been rescued, have been forgiven, have been totally accepted. Through faith. Not through your works, through faith. And that is not from yourself. I mean, I don't know how this could be any more clear. It is the gift of God, not by your validating performance record, not by your works, so that no one can boast. So let me just bring this up for the third time tonight. Okay, here we are. For it is by grace you have been saved. God doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. You have been saved. 
through faith. Faith is something, God, God gives us faith to even believe that. Okay, by, by grace you've been saved through faith. And that is not from yourselves. It's not as a result of your efforts. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works. So that no one can boast. Now that's either the truth of the scripture. Or it's just some made up fallacy. But this is what the Christ of the Bible tells us and determines. That it's Christ's effort that gives us a new identity. Not our efforts that keep us just trying to turn over a new leaf and make resolutions. And I'll be better next year. Thankfully, it's getting to January 1st where where I'm just going to try harder. In 2023. God says, do your best. But it will never be good enough. That's why Christ came. So that we could know and have a new identity. A new relationship with God. Fully forgiven. Fully accepted. Fully, fully in Christ. And what does that do? It begins to change the way I live. And so... These are some of the evidence, I think, of faith that I've noticed, and there are many more. When someone is taken out of Adam, placed into Christ, what are some of the things that take place? I have found so many people tell me a new and a different, a different and new love for God and for others. A change of attitude or, or motivation, a change of attitude and actions. Just why I do things seems to change. I'm not, I'm not, see, here's religion. Religion does so that I can be I do things the, the, here's the model of religion I do things so that I will be accepted God I will do that so that you will accept me Christianity is again the is antithetical to that Christianity says no because I have been accepted I'm so grateful that I have been accepted now I desire to do things not for myself because I'm so grateful because I see what God has delivered me from and that changes me from the inside out a change a total change a new creation as we talk about i feel like a weight's been lifted so many people have told me they've they've said yes i said i do to jesus and it felt like somebody lifted a thousand pounds off of me i've heard that more aware (laughs) this is what i found when i the night i surrendered to christ i became more aware of my self-centeredness than i ever had been but not in a condemnatory way. All of a sudden, it was like my, the lights were on and I saw the roaches in my life that were there, hiding out in the dark. It was wonderful. Yeah, in a way. And then a loss of interest in certain things that were important or of a strong interest, a too strong of an interest. It's just fascinating how God has done that. And so... Um, I just want to encourage you tonight at some point in time I, I, I gave you guys last week a, a little card that had a prayer on it um, but there's nothing magic about those words because God hears the heart and so tonight if you find yourself saying you know I realize I'm separated from God and I'm in Adam I want to be in Christ as I told you this has nothing to do with where you go to church or your denomination. It has nothing to do with any of that. Nothing. This is between you and the God who says he made you and sent his son to come and rescue you and me. So please, erase from your mind any thought of denomination or church attendance or affiliation. This is between you and God. And tonight, if you've heard Jesus say, maybe for the first time, Put your first name. Jesus saying your first name, and then I do. Just turn your heart toward him and say back to him, Jesus, I do. And he will make you a new creation. Sins completely obliterated, past, present, and future. Accepted forever. 
at peace with God. And the transition and the, and the transformation begins in marvelous ways. Okay, next week, I told you I'd go a little bit longer. I apologize. Thank you for your patience. Next week, we're going to be in session six, but it's week five. Why and how should I read the Bible? Is it really that important? We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. So I am so grateful for you guys being here. Thanks for you guys who are here for the first time. Love to have you back for the fourth time. Love to have you back. And uh, let's just take a quick break. We've got some coffee over here and hustle back to our tables. Thank you again so much for being here.